Okay. Today, my guest is Professor Christina Gibson. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with her. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Christina as a person. Professor Gibson is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of her accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Gibson is an AIB fellow. She received the 2015 Decade Award from the AIB and the highly cited Distinction Award from Thomson Reuters in 2016 for being among the top 1% of business and economic academics globally. She received the same award in 2015 and 14 as well. She was nominated for Best Paper Awards in AOM uh, several times, and she won the 2002 Ascendant Scholar Award from the Academy. Kristina received the 2018 Humanitarian Award from the American Psychological Association, Society for Industrial uh, Organization Psychology, based on her impact in both Australia's business and indigenous communities. In addition to over 75 publications in top journals, she has extensively consulted with nonprofits, entrepreneurial firms, and MNCs across over 20 countries. Thank you, Kristina, for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Christina, the first question is always about your background. Uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? I really wanted to be a writer and a writer of novels. <laughs> uh, so hopefully today my writing is a little less fiction, <laughs> <laughs> but I still really love the writing process. I always have. Uh, it's the piece of the research um, journey that brings me the most joy. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Huh. And uh, what was the earliest moment that you can remember the difference between international versus domestic? Oh, that's such an interesting question. You know, growing up in Boulder, we had, you know, many friends, um, fellow students at my high school, for example, that were from outside the U.S., but it never really occurred to me to think of those friends as foreign, really, until I first visited Mexico hmm. and unfortunately, um, you know, exposed to the poverty there and the shanty towns. And it at that point really uh, sunk home just how different life is in many other places, how fortunate we are. Uh, in the United States, in a place like Boulder, Colorado, um, to have the opportunities that we have. And so it was then that uh, I developed, began to develop a passion for um, all things outside the U.S., <laughs> um, but that it, it really, you know, dawned on me that um, there is a very different world out there other than what we've gone, grown up with. <laughs> sure. How did you choose academia? Oh, that's a great question, too. Um, well, let's see. So as an undergraduate in psychology, I thought at, at that point that I might want to be a clinical psychologist. Um, but having interacted with some of my clinical professors, um, realized just how emotionally taxing and difficult clinical psychology can be. I still have a passion for reading in that area and um, do apply some of the, the, the principles and the learnings. Uh, for my undergraduate degree um, in my work today. But uh, I was fortunate enough between my undergraduate degree and my PhD in business to have one at Thomas J. Watson 
Fellowship. And this is an amazing program that uh, Watson, who was the founder of IBM, uh, set up with the intention of internationalizing the US college population, essentially. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you uh, propose a project, uh, you have to independently conduct that project outside the US for an entire year, uh, make all the connections, you know, develop the design, um, implement, uh, and plan all of your travel as well. Um, and I studied leadership, studied leadership in Scandinavia and Australia, um, and then came back home and compared that to leadership styles of, of men and women here in the US. And I was hooked was absolutely hooked. Uh, and that data that I collected became my first uh, Journal of International Business Studies publication um, several years later. So um, I, at that time, having experienced research and the joy of research overseas and outside um, my home context, I knew that this was what I wanted to do uh, with, the, with the rest of my life. So then entered the PhD program at, at UCI. Fascinating. And about your work, I mean, it says here uh, you got Australia's business and indigenous communities because of your impact. Uh, what did you study with these indigenous communities? So I was uh, at the time doing some work in the mining sector in Australia. And a lot of the uh, mines operate on indigenous lands. So for mining companies in Australia, it's very important that they not only uh, understand indigenous culture, but also have the ability to develop relationships, deep relationships with the indigenous um, communities in which they, they do work. And so we started with one company, uh, Woodside in the oil and gas industry, and they uh, uh, partnered uh, with a nonprofit organization to provide some expertise that some of the communities in which they did uh, business uh, wanted to bring into the community. Things like asset management of the indigenous lands, succession planning for the uh, indigenous tribal leadership, um, building youth hostels, uh, nutritional programs. Um, and so Woodside employees volunteered in these communities um, the nonprofit was the bridge between the two. Um, and I studied the process and the project grew and grew and grew from there to the point where I was actually um, actively engaging with the communities myself and with the volunteers from the companies. And we grew from that one company Woodside to 11 companies across Australia that provided um, volunteer expertise and uh, grew from outside of Western Australia throughout all of Australia. Um, in the end, we were able to help about 100, over 100 communities uh, build their own um, expertise and, and uh, skills and create within their communities the kinds of services or programs or businesses that the communities themselves felt were, were most um, needed and, and necessary. And from their point of view, the corporates that were involved, the corporate leaders that volunteered their time, they often went and lived in the communities, sometimes for as much as three months, three months, sometimes six weeks. And it was life transformational for them, the corporate uh, leaders, uh, in developing their ability to communicate across cultures and developing uh, the ability to deal with uncertainty, 
so it was essentially a massive leadership development program. And interestingly enough, that's not what we set out to do. We set out to build the communities. Um, but what a wonderful, you know, mutual benefit, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so so that research was a, a long program over about ten years, um, uh, engaging with with the communities and the, the corporations. I want to ask about creativity and then get back to the personal segment again. I'll jump a couple of questions to this side. And talk. No worries. Uh, how did you come up with these great, very creative ideas? Where do these creative ideas come from? It can't yeah. be just by luck. You know, it's... Well, serendipity is a, is, a bit, <laughs> is a bit of a part of it. Uh, you know, the um, university that I was working with at the time in Australia had an amazing program that they called Study Tour. And they would assemble um, a few faculty members who were interested in learning about a uh, different context and support a week long visit to you know, an, a particular region within Australia or to a set of organizations. Um, and on one of those visits, one of those study tours, I just struck up a conversation with a human resource uh, director in, at Woodside and said, you know, Craig, what, what's keeping you up at night? What are, what are the challenges that are on your plate right now? And is there a way that I might be able to help? And that's when he began talking about the fact that, you know, he had leaders that needed to work in the indigenous communities, but had no idea how to communicate, how to, you know, interact effectively. They were being offensive at times. They were, you know, it's just not going well. Um, and so we brainstormed. We just sat and over a series of lunches and, and coffees, we talked about what, what could we do that would be um, not just a cultural awareness program sitting in a corporate boardroom, um, but would get uh, relationships developed and um, skill building in a very hands-on way. Um, so that was kind of the genesis of that project. Um, and really, you know, that conversation was uh, fundamental, right? Um, being willing to ask questions, observe, um, and then parlay that into a way to um, use our, our skills as researchers to make change happen and then document all of that. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, something that is not on your CV that people will find interesting. <laughs> Uh, well, many people actually know this about me, if, 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 if you know me, because I love talking about my, my glory days. In my 20s and 30s, I was an Ironman triathlete. So um, I did swim, bike, run races, these crazy long distance races. Um, I still swim and bike and run, but I'm no longer racing at that level anymore. Now I'm mainly just watching my 15-year-old son race. So he's also an, uh, an athlete and that that's, uh, that's enough for me these days. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, if you stopped doing what you're doing today, what would you do? What's the second best career alternative path? You know, I, I would love to write. I'd love to write novels. Um, I, I do write a little, you know, in my spare time, but, you know, who has spare time? But to be able to focus uh, on writing, I think, would be amazing. I also love to draw and paint, and I, I don't have much time to, to do that either. So I would say either a writer or an artist, something in the in the creative, you know, a creative endeavor. Did you actually start writing something? Is that a manuscript? I have, I have. Uh huh. It's it's a, a little autobiographical. It's about some experiences that I've had throughout my life, 
And um, yeah, my, my challenge is I have a, a younger brother who is an amazing writer uh, and a journalist. And so I compare my writing to his and I'm like, oh yeah, I've got a lot to learn. <laughs> but they say, you know, the way to learn to write is to write uh, and, and let others read and, and rewrite. And so, um, so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, regrets, have you got any regrets? Oh, regrets. You know, I love the outdoors and I do spend a lot of time outdoors, but I think if I could turn back the clock, I would, I would want to do even more outdoor sport and backcountry camping, for example, um, hiking and mountain climbing. Um, these are things that are still possible, of course, in my life, but they're a little more difficult the older you get, you know, the body doesn't quite work the way it used to. <laughs> Got to bring my camping mat to put my sleeping bag down on these days. <laughs> so um, I probably would have worked less and spent more time, you know, hiking and camping. And what are you most proud of? <laughs> I would say on a, on a personal note, I would say I'm most proud of my resilience um, persevering through some really difficult times early in my career, difficult personal times. Um, and, and this is a difficult career. So persevering through many rejections and many, you know, tough review processes and, uh, job searches. And, um, so that would be on a personal note. I think professionally though, I would say the other scholars that I've mentored over the years. I'm really proud of the accomplishments of my PhD students and um, junior colleagues that you know I've I've helped along the along the way. Perfect. About research, uh, how do you explain your research and the importance of your research to people who don't read your work regularly? Like you're standing in a pub, uh, locals don't know about you, um, but these people uh, are not in your area. So these are local people. How do you explain yourself? Yeah, I would probably start by saying yeah, I'm, a, I'm a research professor at a university in California in the United States. Um, and then, you know, what that means is that I do research and I teach others to do research. And the research that I focus on is work uh, in different countries, the experience of work, how to improve the experience of work. We spend so much of our waking lives at our workplaces working um, to be able to have a content work life, um, have our needs met at work means that we'll live a, a more enriching life, generally mm -hmm. speaking. So um, attempting to create workplaces that are more flexible, that are uh, that provide opportunities for voice for people who maybe are from underrepresented or minority groups, um, inclusive workplaces where people can can thrive. That's that's the work mm -hmm. that I do. Uh, Christina, uh, about underdeveloped, underutilized, um, omitted variables in IB research. Well, what can we say about some of the things that we haven't touched enough? Well, I don't know if they're, well, they're not entirely omitted, um, but I would say I would love to see more work that 
investigates psychological factors, relational factors. There's certainly a body of, of research out there addressing these issues, but we need more, more of it. Um, certainly indigenous contexts, indigenous concepts. Um, and I would say in particular uh, aspects of culture that are perhaps unique um, to certain uh, groups of indigenous peoples, we know very little and, and examine these, these concepts um, very rarely. So as an example in Australia, relationship to nature, which is a construct that anthropologists and sociologists have, have been examining for years, but yet it has not made its way into much of our international business research yet amongst indigenous Australians, connection to country as they refer to it uh, is so critical uh, in their lives and, and then therefore for uh, organizations who are engaging in these communities, if you don't understand connection to country, if you don't have a sense of uh, the importance of relationship to nature, it's impossible to, to do business in those areas. So um, yet there's no research that examines this in an IB, um, IB context using our mm -hmm. IB research tools. So I would love to see more research in, in that regard um, and hopefully can help contribute in that way too. Uh, if patients come to you and say, you know, Krishna, could you please help me come up with an interesting uh, dissertation topic um, that will be uh, on the forefront in the next five to 10 years in the field. Uh, what are some of these uh, things that you would say, so some research questions for them to think about? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, the, the aforementioned topics um, would be ripe areas for research. Um, interdisciplinary work, um, understanding the impact of organizations, uh, social impact, environmental impact. Uh, more and more, I think as researchers, we're going to be called to demonstrate that we are changing society for good. And why not start your career addressing problems and challenges that will in fact have societal impact. I'd like love to see the next generation of, of scholars um, right from their dissertations doing research of, of this nature. Um, but I also think you know equally as important is choosing something that the student themselves are really passionate about. Mm -hmm. A recipe for disaster is trying to research topics that I'm interested in, for example, or topics that your, your supervisor is interested in, but that you don't personally feel vested in. Um, so what are the problems and challenges that you see as critical and important in the world? And how might you know, an international business or an international management lens help you to solve those problems or to amass data that will inform others uh, being able to solve those problems. I, I would say that's, you know, that's the advice I'd give in terms of crafting, crafting an early career. Uh, you mentioned indigenous concepts. You talked about country, the concept of country for them. Uh, can you give an example of a unique context that you saw talking to these indigenous people uh, that doesn't really apply to uh, our theories or our theories don't explain this concept uh, well, well enough. What did you see? It was sure, unique. sure. Well, uh, you know, this is and this is not necessarily unique to Indigenous Australians. It's true of of many individuals, but they have very complex sense of personal identity. 
cultural identity, organizational identity, professional identity intertwined um, within, within themselves. And oftentimes the values that they identify with that represent their indigeneity are in conflict with the values of the organizations, the mainstream organizations that they might be working with um, <clears throat> or the, the work teams or professions that they might be engaging in. Um, so for indigenous Australians, uh, connection to country, very, very critical indigenous uh, value. And yet maybe they're working for a mining company <laughs> that's mm. actually destroying country. Uh, and so they have this tension that they navigate uh, or attempt to navigate. And the some of the conversations that I had during the research that I was conducting in the communities suggested that to the extent that they are able to successfully navigate those tensions, they live healthier lives, they are better able to build a career, to contribute back to their own communities. So the wearing away of that indigenous cultural identity amongst other others in the community led to many different social problems. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we uh, worked with the leaders, the corporate leaders to try and, and help them to engage with the indigenous community partners in such a way that they weren't negating their indigenous culture, but they were, the corporate leaders were embracing that indigenous culture and respecting it and valuing it so that the indigenous um, partners felt empowered to do the same, right? To continue to embrace that aspect of, of, their, of their identity. And I think we see these same uh, identity tensions, if you will, playing out um, in many different cultural contexts, not just in, you know, amongst indigenous Australians, but it's true for many people who identify with more than, than one culture, that they are, you know, navigating these different uh, value systems that are associated with with those uh, with the different cultures that they identify with, and you know I think many um, multinational organizations or just organizations more generally tend to want to create standardization and sameness, and so therefore maybe even unknowingly um, negate or devalue the um, the unique cultural values that individuals might bring. Mm -hmm. Uh, as a result of, of their own personal value system. So um, I think this is a, an, an area that we need to know much more about. Um, there's wonderful social psychological research on, on identities. There's um, cross-cultural psychological research on biculturalism and multiple identities. And so bringing that into the international business context and um, helping managers and, and uh, employees that are uh, themselves multicultural or who are working with multicultural employees to better enable people to retain that sense of identity, I, I think would be a, uh, you know, there, there, there's a dissertation for you right there, right? Or multiple yeah. dissertations. Yeah, I, I, I'm taking notes here to, to start thinking. Um, <laughs> um, about the evolution in IB scholarship, um, what did we lose? What did we gain along the way? Where are we going? Well, I, I am seeing a lot more interdisciplinary work, which is wonderful um, in my own career, but in, in many others. Uh, I'm seeing more qualitative work. Again, a big, a big benefit. I think uh, anytime we can expand our toolkits, right, then we're going to be seeing different uh, aspects of the problems than we would otherwise with a single set of methods, 
I see more women coming into international business, which is fabulous uh, as researchers, but also as practitioners, which um, is a is a big, I think, a big success uh, and a, 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 a something that we want to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't I don't know that we've lost anything. I, I'm I'm hard pressed to think of any ways in which these same trends may have. Um, you know, reduced the legitimacy of the field, for example, or um, in any way um, become a negative. I mean, I will say that international business departments are less common. Um, it, but but I think the flip side of that: why are they less common? Because many business schools and and uh, universities are attempting to incorporate. Um, the same concepts broadly in the curriculum as opposed to isolating it within a particular department. So I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's actually a good thing. Um, so yeah, I guess that would be my reflection on the evolution of the field. Perfect. Uh, about advice and mentoring, who was your advisor? Chris Early. So he uh, most recently was Dean um, at University of Technology, Sydney. Um, So he went over to the dark side, <laughs> but for many years, uh, you know, very active researcher um, in you know the areas of of um, uh, culture and um, intercultural uh, work, and um, then additionally on my uh, PhD committee, I had Lyman Porter, and I had Joan Pierce, and I'm so fortunate for that committee because they each. Uh, offered something, you know, slightly different in terms of the kind of advice and mentorship. And it was just, it was fabulous. I really, really hit the, hit the mentor jackpot. <laughs> What was the best advice you received when you were going through the program? Best advice. I guess probably to find a voice. And I will say it took years and I, you know, I'm still searching, but um, as we all are, but I think, you know, early on in our careers, we may be reluctant to, or many of us may be reluctant to uh, be assertive in our ideas and to follow our intuition in terms of what to study or how to study it. Um, and my mentors really encouraged me to, to follow those passions and, You know, there was a, a key moment, and I think a lot of doctoral students face this, where the committee and I were trying to decide whether it should be a domestic dissertation project or a international dissertation mm-hmm. project, and we debated quite a lot. <laughs> and I was, I was actually that was one of the first times that I was, I was quite assertive and said, I, I really feel called to do this, this work, this international business work. I don't feel like I can you know, um, make the kind of contributions that I would like to uh, simply with the domestic research design. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that led me to do work in Irian Jaya, which is now Papua New Guinea, which was an amazing experience in the mining camps there, um, as well as in Hong Kong. And um, so I, you know, I would not trade uh, those experiences and, and you know, the, the developmental opportunity to get my feet wet right away in international research. For anything about the common uh, common mistakes, the commonalities of the mistakes that you see in junior faculty patient students, uh, what do you advise them not to do? What not to do? Well, you know, I mentioned earlier um, 
don't study something because you feel obligated to study it because your supervisor happens to be studying that particular topic or because you feel like it's a hot topic. You really absolutely need to choose something that you feel passionate about um, because it's going to be with you for many, many years to come, quite <laughs> likely. Uh, so, you know, enjoy it. Enjoy it and, and ensure that it's something that's coming from the heart as opposed to uh, necessarily always from, you know, from the head. Now <laughs> um, for the sake of time, uh, what is a question that I should have asked you, but I wouldn't? Well, you know, maybe I would just expand a little bit about um, some valuable lessons. So you did ask that question, but um, an extension maybe of what I had mentioned earlier is the expression of gratitude. Hmm. I would say that early in my career, I was um, I was not as careful to um, always express that gratitude. And I've learned that it is so important to uh, show your appreciation for mentors, but also for, you know, wonderful co-authors and for all of the support system that each of us has around us, right? My husband and my son are so critical to my career and have been so supportive um, throughout, um, you know, the, the 30 some odd years that I've been doing this. And so um, I couldn't have, couldn't have done it without this entire ecosystem of support. So Anyway, I would just say along the way, it's never too early to start expressing that gratitude. Uh, follow up, uh, what can you say about uh, work-life balance? Uh, and obviously you achieved this balance and you, you're happy, but uh, there must be a trick to this. Well, no trick really. And, and it's funny you know, to hear you say you think I have achieved it because I don't feel like I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, I do, I do think, you know, maybe, maybe one tip I would offer, and that is that um, it's so important to take care of yourself. And that sounds a bit trite, because we hear that a lot, especially in this current, um, you know, post-pandemic environment, um, make sure you take care of yourself, but it's, it's really true. And so prioritizing um, the things that keep you healthy, and whether that be a walk, or, you know, for me, it's swim, bike, run, but it could also be music, it could be you know, just spending time outdoors, or maybe you have a particular pastime that you, that keeps you healthy and sane. And we let those things fall by the wayside when we get busy. And it's really counterproductive in the end, because it's a sure path to burnout. Um, so I certainly have been in, in that place at different points in my career, and have to kind of pull in the reins and say, you know, making another paper deadline is really not worth my health or, you know, missing an important milestone in my son's life or, um, and then we just have to reprioritize and get back on track. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for this interview. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you, Christina. Thank you.